This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. We're closing out the week with podcast uh, episode number 107, Friday. September 1st, college football weekend. We'll speak to that in a little bit. Of course, our podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers. And coming up a little bit uh, in the podcast, an interview with new Sixers assistant coach and former Villanova all-timer Doug West will join us in the podcast today. Uh, so let's start. Obviously, we've got to start with the Eagles. As we, This is the longest week ever between the third and last preseason game to when the season starts and, and, and like burning up these days is ridiculous until they get to the New England Patriots uh, on a Sunday at 425. Um, here's what's going on now. Whoopee! The Eagles filled out their practice squad. Oh, this has been the major point of contention. They signed 13 quick players to the practice squad and then just added three more. And in case you're interested – Here's the the last three guys they've added to get to their 16 on the practice squad. Defensive tackle Thomas Booker, who was a uh, fifth-round draft pick last year by the Texans. Tackle DeRaven Clark, former third-round pick in 2016. Eight-year veteran, played with the Eagles in 2021. And cornerback Taiwan Mullen, undrafted free agent, played with the Chargers last year in the preseason. There you go. You're excited, I know. However... Here is the big news. They are auditioning punters to perhaps replace Sippus. He's on the practice squad, so he might wind up being the punter. But one of the punters that they're auditioning right now is a Penn State all-timer, Blake Gillikin, who was a great college punter, punted for the uh, Saints last year. And I am predicting that Blake Gillikin wins the battle and becomes the Eagles punter to give the uh, – Penn State, like, you know, they lost their, their Nittany Lion flavor with the running back Miles Sanders going. And so they replaced him with a punter. You know, I take what I can get here. All right. So uh, we got to wait a few days. We got Eagle football coming. We'll be doing a podcast at their every Eagles game. We'll, that's where our podcast schedule will change, just to, as a personal note. So uh, we'll get it Monday morning uh, most of the time, except like Friday morning when they play the second game, which is on a Thursday. Uh, all right, so uh, check your schedule, and you can determine when we'll uh, be doing our podcast. All right, so that's uh, the first part of what we call the current on the Mike Missinelli podcast. So let's go to the second part, the Phillies. Um, okay, they they are uh, five games up on the wild card, but they're a lock. Uh, the odds, I think, are 93% that they're going to make the, the wild card spot. Uh, so no worries about them making the slot. They are three up on the second place Cubs. So they're really not that much in danger of losing that first wild card spot, which means they will play in the first round, three game series at home, if three is necessary, against the Chicago Cubs, who they're much better than. So I don't have any worries at all about that series. Now, last year I had some worries about the Cardinals, 
the Phillies wound up winning that first game in dramatic fashion and then just took the Cardinals apart and took their hearts. And that was a springboard, of course, of them beating the Braves. So keep in mind that they will face the Braves again in the second round of these playoffs once they beat the Cubs. The Braves are better. I'm telling you right now, they're better. That does not mean the Phillies can't beat them. The only thing, situation here is the Braves have home field advantage. So hopefully the Phillies can split down there and turn that series back in their favor. Okay, now they lost the third game of a three-game set to the Angels, a team that stinks. A team put like six guys on waivers uh, and then sent them out to play because they, they weren't going to be part of the team after the game. It's weird about baseball. But anyway, the Phillies have it deadlocked with another dramatic Bryce Harper moment where he hits the home run in the eighth inning to put him in the lead. And it was his home run number 300. What I mean, this guy's got a flair for drama. So so they go into the ninth inning with that lead and uh, trying to protect it, uh, and Craig Kimball gives it up. Now, I just gave you the positive spin about the Phillies. Not, they're going to be in the wild card. They could beat the Braves. They could get to the World Series again. Uh, but I have to mention this because the question is, do they have a Kimball problem? And the answer to that is, yes, they do. They have a Kimbrel problem. He looks like he's a little worn out. In fact, the back end of the bullpen looks a little worn out. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from him anymore. Dominguez and Soto and, and, and of course, uh, Alvarado, uh, who hopefully is healthy, but you never know about that. So, yes, they, they have a late-inning problem with the Phillies, and I hope that doesn't cut their legs off when they play the Braves because they're going to need to get ahead and they're going to need to preserve that lead with some really good back-end bullpen pitching uh, in that second round. Um, so let's get back to Bryce Harper because the, the – is Bryce <laughs> – I hate to even do this now because he's so beloved in this city and and people are just eating this up. But um, I know what you're going to do, he, man. He, I know. Yeah, he knows what the perception is right now because – here, here's what he said uh, after the game about being a Philly. He, he's in love with, with being a Philly, right? So, so he says, I'll get the whole quote out here to, to see what he says. Uh, he, he says he just loves playing in Philadelphia. And he says a lot of people think that I, I pander, but uh, it, it's, it's real. It's so real. It's from the bottom of my heart. And I'm just thankful to put this jersey on every day. Now, people, fans just suck that up. But cynics like me go, I don't know, are you trying too hard? Uh, Darren, let me bring you in for this. Is, I know you're having some conversations with your friends. Is Bryce Harper trying too hard or is this just completely genuine? Every, every one of my buddies thinks that he's pandering. Like Every one of them to the point where they're almost killing him for it. I think he means it. I really think he's genuine. You know what would be great? You say you're a cynic. I, you know, for those who don't realize, I was your producer with Steve Fredericks. How cynic, how, what would Steve be doing right now? He'd be going, oh, come on, this is bullshit. This <laughs> pandering, this pandering son of a bitch. He was so cynical. Yeah, he might. Uh, so the full quote is, I just love being a Philly, plain and simple. This fan base, this city, I love them. Everybody thinks I pander a lot, but it's real. All right, well, whatever, man. I kind everybody, of think it's real, but yeah. yeah everybody I, I, I know is just way too much. I, I'm going to say that it, it's my problem because I'm such a cynic that um, uh, athletes, to me, when they say stuff like that, I think they're just trying too hard. But then the other side of it is you don't try hard enough. So I can't be satisfied, which makes me the idiot. All right, but let's let's discuss the reality of this because 
I believe now that he has surged to the top of the most beloved Philly athletes of all time. His, his flair for the dramatic, the way he plays, the, the, the hard-nosed thing about him, the way he, he tributes the fans all the time. Um, he's at the uh, – well, let's – okay, let me, let me amend that because he, he's the second most. All right? He's the second most beloved because no one in the history of this city will surpass – Chase Utley, and the other guy they might not ever surpass is Nick Foles. Okay, so the the most beloved athletes in Philly, go, and for my money, go like this. There it goes, Utley, Chase Utley. I I, I don't know. He he could have robbed a bank at at noon, and would still be the most popular uh, player ever in Philadelphia. Um, so it goes for me. Utley, Harper, Foles, and then I go AI, and then Brian Dawkins. They are, in my study, the most popular athletes of all time. Am I leaving anybody out there? Um, I, I think you have Foles way too high. I think Iverson. Well, of course it's too high. He shouldn't even be on the damn list. But I am telling you, I am measuring how, how fans love somebody. And there's nobody that's more loved. Utley is, Harper is, but nobody else, even not even Dawkins is more beloved than Foles. Foles is the quarterback that got him their first Super Bowl. I disagree. Bowl. I think Dawkins, even though he didn't technically win. Dawkins didn't win the Super Bowl. This guy won a Super Bowl. I, Mike, I know. He's beloved. I just think Dawkins is still worshipped more than Owen. Got a statue. No <laughs> statue. I mean, it's Bobby Clark. And, and you notice, I, listen, here's how weird Philadelphia is. Because Julius Serving's not on my top five list. Yeah, I know, and he damn well should be. All right, so 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 there you go. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on to, to college football because college football big weekend. Uh, it started yeah, last night. We were a couple games. Um, interesting. Minnesota big. Uh, Minnesota wins. Uh, Nebraska stinks, and uh, you know poor Matt Rule is gonna is gonna take a while to build that program. And then Utah uh, with a big win last night. Uh, so let's look at college football, and in particular, uh, Penn State, because this is the year that uh, a lot of Penn State fans or even non-Penn State fans think that they can actually make a run to that Final Four. Um, I, they, here's what I think. I'm very cynical about Penn State. First of all, let's go down the percentages of the college football programs by percentage that are supposed to be in the Final Four. Georgia has 68.4% chance to be in the Final Four. Alabama, 53.0. Ohio State, 49.6. Michigan, 46.6. And the next place is Penn State at only 19.7%. So what I'm saying is that Penn State might have to actually run the table to get into the Final Four. Now, let's look at their schedule here because I'm going to, this is embarrassing for me as a Penn Stater that they have these two teams on the schedule in the first six games where they will undoubtedly go 6-0 and until they get to the big one. So they start out with West Virginia, 20-point favorite over them. Should not have a problem with them. I'm thinking of making that one of my, my betting plays for the week, which I'll give you in a second. Um, then Delaware. Oh, they play Delaware the second game of the year. That's embarrassing for me. I got to be honest with you. All right, the third game is at Illinois. Shouldn't have any problems there. Then I went home. That shouldn't be a problem. And then at Northwestern, which shouldn't be a problem. That's 5-0. and oh. And then the sixth game is UMass. 
Uh, all right, so Delaware and UMass in the first six games, if they don't get, go 6-0, I, I, I disown them. I, I take my diploma, and, and I, I light it on fire live on, t- on this podcast. Uh, so they're 6-0, and here it comes. At Ohio State. Now, here's, the, here's what I think is going to happen. Ohio State is not going to be as potent because of the quarterback factor. They have always had a quarterback who has been able to carry them through. This is year a year where they don't. Now, with all due respect to the local kid, Kyle McCord from St. Joe Prep has been named the starter. By then, I don't know if he'll be the starter. The other kid can really throw the ball. I've seen that kid Brown. Um, but even if he does, he's not as dynamic as the past, like the, the JT Barrett's in the, in the, in the fields and, and all these guys. So um, I think Penn State wins that game at Ohio State. I think they'll be riding a high. And then they play Indiana and at Maryland. Okay, now it, let's do the math. What is that? That's 9-0. and oh. Yeah. Nice. And guess what? Here come the Michigan Wolverines to Penn State. And it undoubtedly will be a whiteout game. And I think Penn State will lose that game. All right, Michigan. Has Penn State won the last two against Michigan? Has it been? I think they've won the last two. Yeah. So this is like triple revenge. Michigan uh, is a good team. But here's what's going to happen. Michigan will then have to play Ohio State, and they will lose to Ohio State, which puts Penn State back in the picture. And then you just have to extrapolate the data to see if Penn State uh, survives into that Final Four. Where's that Ohio State-Michigan game? Uh, The Ohio State-Michigan game is, uh, I believe, two after Penn State plays Michigan. So Michigan plays somebody after that, and then they play Ohio State. It's, is it in Ohio State or is it in Michigan? Um, it's, uh, I don't know. Okay. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I, Ohio State will rebound and win that game. Because uh, Michigan will be riding that kind of, Michigan's not going to run the table either. Uh, so there you go. That's the way I think they get back in. All right, let's look at some games you might be uh, able to play on your Bet Rivers app. Of course, you got to download that Bet Rivers. It's a perfect time to do it. You got the NFL and college football. You got to get the app. You pop it up all the time. You get some bargains, right? I'm looking for bargains, and it's hard to find bargains in the first week of the year. So let me go with this here. Uh, Prime time. Coach Prime is going uh, into his first game. He's going to TCU. He will get his ass handed to him at TCU. They're giving Coach Prime some credit by making TCU only a a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. TCU rolls in that game. They went something like 51-15. to or something like that. And Coach Prime gets indoctrinated with a big L right out of the shoot. I love TCU in that game. All right. That's the other surprise team in the fragmenting uh, Pac-12. Uh, the one escapee plays uh, against Boise State. Always a challenge for somebody to beat Boise State. And yet, the Washington Huskies are a 14-and-a-half point favorite at home and i'm going to ride the huskies with a monster win over boise state because normally people look at that and go boise state they're good i'm gonna take the 14 and a half not me i'm i'm too wise to fall into a trap like that i'll take the huskies all right and then here's the thing i I think is the bargain of the week unc's got this big time quarterback university of north carolina Uh, but they always manage to play down and so they're a slight favorite at home against South Carolina. Are you ready for this? The Gamecocks outright 
getting two and a half won't need it. They win the game in Chapel Hill. All right. Love so it. there you go. They're my selections for the opening week of college football. We haven't touched on the Sixers, so let's touch on them. There's nothing going on with them. There's no excitement for the Sixers. Every fan of the Sixers is programmed to think they're going to have a down year, and James Harden's still out there in limbo. And now, here comes the propaganda. Now, James Harden has agents. I'm guaranteeing you, his agents are putting it in the ear of former teammates. Hey, throw it out there that James is a good dude, that he's a really good teammate who only wants to win. And the latest guy to, to be snared with that hook with a worm on it is none other than a guy named Sam Decker. Now, if you remember Sam Decker, about a 6'8", 6'9", white forward, played at Wisconsin. Good player, very good player. Had some hops, played in the league for a little bit, and now he's working uh, for the NBA at some uh, form. And uh, he, he says that James was a great teammate when he was playing with, with him with the Houston Rockets. Here's the thing about Sam Decker that stands out for me. He is married to Olivia Harlan. Kevin Harlan, the uh, football announcer, he's a good announcer. I like Kevin Harlan. Uh, his daughter, Olivia, is uh, a very lovely lady, and she is actually in the business. And Sam snared Olivia Harlan. So I give Sam a thumbs up for that selection. Uh, good job by uh, Sam Decker. So just concentrate on Olivia and you know, g- 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 take James Harden out of your mouth. All right? Just take him out of your mouth. It's the Mike Nussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Doug, Philadelphia 76ers in a, in a kind of a precarious situation. If Harden does not show up or if he does show up, uh, you know, there's that frame of reference the Sixers had gone through a couple of years ago with Ben Simmons where he showed up and he didn't want to show up. And, and, and through the whole start of the season, really, uh, it put it in flux. So uh, I, I know how, how are you guys going to deal with that kind of thing? Because most concerning thing about that is how it affects the locker room. Guys, when guys are feeling uncertain about the direction of the team, it affects them as well. Yeah, well, you know, that's like you said, that's the uh, that's the um, elephant in the room. Uh, we have to get to that point. Uh, we still have, you know, another month until training camp starts. And uh, like I said, hopefully they get everything uh, finalized and taken care of by then. All right, let's let's look back at your great career. And, I, you know, I was covering college basketball for the Inquirer mm-hmm. uh, in your era. And uh, first of all, Altoona High, uh, Parade All-American, and you come to Villanova after the year after they win the national championship. I, I, I assume you had signed earlier than that, and, and a lot, a ton of schools were after you. Why was it Villanova at the time? Well, honestly, I mean, it, it came down to Villanova and Pitt. Um, I actually thought I was going to Pitt. Um, I took. It's really funny. You think back to 1984. Uh, my first flight ever was to Philadelphia to um, on my trip at Villanova. And um, I remember landing in the city, um, making that drive out to the main line and just falling in love with the campus, um, you know. And then I think the, 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 the biggest thing for me back then was Coach Mass um, sitting in his office and him, and him telling me, I don't think you can play for me. Um, and it was just that challenge. Uh, it was like, oh, you don't think I can play for you? And then I just had such a great relationship or I built a great relationship with the with the with the players that were on the team, even though some of them were graduating. Um, you know, to this day, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. So, so what, he, what was he doing? Playing a psychological game on you? <laughs> oh, you know, that's what he did. That, that was <laughs> that was Coach Mass. That's that was him. One hundred percent. I Doug, uh, you stayed four years at Villanova, and uh, mm-hmm. very rare 
uh, and, and carved out a great <laughs> career. Were you thinking of jumping to the NBA any earlier? Um, it crossed my mind uh, my junior season after we lost um, in the what's it Elite Eight. Um, we lost to Oklahoma, um, and uh, you know it crossed my mind then. Um, but we, you know, had a, had a very good nucleus coming back the following year. Um, I think we were preseason number seven in the country, and ended up in the NIT. Um, so it just didn't work out the way the way I thought it would. Um, but but again, um, I got drafted um, and was able to go on and have a have a nice career in the league. Yeah, you certainly did. So let let's talk about the game that I always, I covered the game. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the most fascinating games I have ever seen. It may be the best game in Big Five history, if not one of the great college games of all time. Uh, Temple's ranked number one. You guys are top ten, I believe, uh, at McGonagall Hall. And uh, wow, uh, I mean, an incredible game. You guys, they wind up uh, at the end. They made a little, few more plays than you guys, and they win ninety-eight, eighty-six in a game that went up and down like I've never seen a game, which is unusual in that you two coaches were control type coaches. So take me back to that great Temple Villanova game at McGonagall Hall and what you experienced in that game. You, you had uh, 25, I guess, or uh, 27. Okay. Yeah, you had, 20, you had 27. Kenny Wilson at 25 and 9. Yeah, um, I, I, it's really funny. When you said the score was 98 to 86, I mean, and, and you're so right. I mean, Coach Mass, every play down the court, you know, Coach Chaney, every play down the court, they wanted to coach it, but – that atmosphere of that game, um, you know, the, the in McGonagall Hall, I mean, it was small box, I mean, standing room only. Um, and I can remember, you know, I can remember it vividly. They, I think they got ranked number one that morning. Um, and, you know, it was an opportunity to go in there. I mean, you got Howie Evans, you got Vrieswick, you got Mark Macon, you got Tim Perry, you got, I mean, Ramon Ray, I mean, you had a the team, I mean, and it was just up and down. Um, you know, I think we came out a little hot, um, you know, but, you know, they, they ran their zone. We're able to, you know, win the game down the stretch. It was just a fun, fun game uh, for the fans, um, for the alums, uh, for the city. Yeah, up and down, which is uh, – you guys only played six. So I, I, back in the day, I got a couple minutes. But basically, <laughs> both, both teams played six. Plansky, Rodney Taylor, Grice, Kenny Wilson, and you in the backcourt. They played Vrieswick, Perry, Rivas, Macon Evans, and Dwayne Coswell for a little bit off the bench. And that pace with only six guys just up and down, and it never affected anybody. Macon goes for 31 in that game. W were you guarding him at that point? I, I would never take that. I would never say I was guarding him. Um, but I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he got. He gave me. I'm sure he gave me some, just like he gave uh, everyone else some. Um, you know, Mark was an outstanding player. I think that was his freshman year as well. Yeah, it was his freshman year where he was a freshman sensation. And that night, you know, he had had trouble with shot selection. He made everything that night. Uh, and, <laughs> but every guy, you guys shot like 54 percent in that game. It was something. It was something that I had never seen. It was a game that I totally did not expect. To, to score uh, at that level. And and afterward, Mass I remember Massimino saying, I this is one game I didn't mind losing because it was such an entertaining, wildly entertaining game. And I went, oh, my God, he said that? Because he never said that, say that. Yeah, that, that, that definitely didn't sound like coach. I mean, it was. It was an entertaining game. Um, I remember McGonagall always being one of those shooters' courts. You know, it was just that that box, you know, that it, the, the, the baskets yeah. on the wall there. It was just – one of those places where you felt like it was what was a home court. 
it was it was suffocating in that building. <laughs> Definitely no air conditioning. I was standing room only. <laughs> there were there people were standing on the on that balcony that they, they had beyond the basket. Yeah, it was an incredible game. Uh, so uh, Cheney, after here's what I remember about Cheney after the game. I covered Cheney for a lot of years, and I had great respect for him. And so he's on the podium with Howie Evans, and, and Howie had 20 points and uh, 20 assists Ooh. and one turnover. And, Ch- and, and so some reporter says, uh, Howie had, tw- uh, had 20 and one, and one turnover. And Cheney turned to him and said, how the fuck you have one turnover, Howie? <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which is classic Cheney. <laughs> Throw the f bomb out there in the in the meeting there, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing that, that he did that. All right, so you're built up a career. It's a great career, and you're you're the, the top five scorer of all time. That's some pretty uh, haughty territory there, the top five. I want to ask you if I if I put you on the all time Villanova team, who are your other four? Oh, if you put me on the all time, okay, so we'll go with Ed Pinkney. Um, Oh man, this is this is a really good one. We can go Brunson. Okay, you'll put we can Brunson. Go, we're on gonna there. go Brunson and Lowry. I'm gonna play the small forward. Okay, okay. all we're right. Gonna, we're gonna play, <laughs> play the small forward. And who we're gonna go with our four man? Wow, that's our Tim Thomas. <laughs> okay, that's pretty. That's a pretty good one. Uh, I, I, you're leaving out Kerry Kittle. Oh, now. there's a lot I'm leaving out. I mean, there's there's <laughs> names. I mean, there's there's no way you can turn. You know, um, I'm going to get some calls from this. I'm sure eventually. You know, it's going to be like, uh, oh, I'm not on your top. All right, Doug. So you get drafted after that that season. You get drafted by the T Wolves, and and you start writing. It's a new franchise, and, and you're playing very well uh, uh, with the T Wolves. So your transition from college to NBA. What was that like? Because then you guys start adding some some really good players to the draft with that team. Uh, it was it was uh, interesting. My first year, um, I played you know I played it here and there. Um, I really couldn't figure out. Bill Musselman was my first coach. Uh, he was he was a character in himself. Um, couldn't figure out um, you know where I was fitting in here. And then along comes my second year. Along comes Scotty Brooks, and uh, Scotty Brooks and I just started being terrorized just terrorizing on defense on the defensive end. Next thing you know, I'm getting opportunities. Uh, next thing you know. I'm, I'm getting more time. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, I, I'm re-signing, um, you know, for my second contract and then able to get my third. So, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was one of those situations where, you know, coming up, uh, I, got my, I got my time on the court through the defensive end and then established myself as a scorer for, for a little while in the league. And then, as you said, the talent just started rolling in, you know. Yeah, where, I was going to say, where were you more comfortable, the two or the three? Because then they draft uh, J.R. Ryder, who was more of a two, uh, and then KG comes along. So uh, did you have to make that transition from two to three in the NBA? Yes, uh, definitely. Once Jay came in, um, you know, he was a special talent. Um, so I, I ended up playing some two and three. Um, you know, I actually, throughout my NBA career, I played one, two, and three. So I was able to touch all three positions of the guard spots. And uh it was, it was just a great ride, um, a great ride, a lot of losing. Um, you know, Timberwolves, weren't, we weren't known for winning, um, so there was a lot of losing um, within that organization. But uh, I think I, I, I grew as a person and, uh, you know, start learning a lot about yourself. At, at that time, uh, I know looking back, is, is you played against so many players, but who, do you, who, who was the toughest player that you had to play against personally? 
Well, besides besides Jordan, um, you know, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was, was just going to ask you, were you, yeah, were, you yeah. got, were you responsible for guarding him? Oh yeah, that was my that was my matchup. Yes, that was yes. your guy. Yeah, that was my that was my guy. And every time we played them at home, I've I always said no dunks for Mike. So he would get a breakaway. I would grab him. My fans would boo me. So that's that's <laughs> it, you know because they they wanted to see him. But uh, you know, besides Mike, uh, Reggie Miller. Uh, you know, a guy like Reggie Miller, who just never stopped moving. Um, you know, luckily, we only played them twice a year because he was in the Eastern Conference. But then you would go right up to Utah. You had a Jeff Hornacek, um, a Jeff Malone, um, a Mitch Richmond. I mean, you name them. Um, you know, I had some of the some of the better two guards uh, to cover in the NBA. All right, so tell me uh, a Mike trash-talking story because he was notorious for it. You were guarding <laughs> him. Uh, there had to be some some transactions there with you guys, right? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one, and it's always it's on the Come Fly With Me video that he has when he shakes me, goes baseline, and dunks on Sam Mitchell. And then, you know, we're coming out of the locker room at halftime, and he looked at me and he said, I thought you, I thought you knew my place. I thought you knew which way I was going to go. And I said, I had that one. He said, we should have told Sam you had it because he got it. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing stuff. Uh, okay. So the career now uh, at the end, it gets to Vancouver. And what was that like? And, and when did you think that it was coming to an end for you in the NBA? Well, the, the Vancouver situation, you know, I, I got traded there. Um, again, another team that was uh, a rebuilding team. I broke my foot. Um, you know, tore my sesamoid. Um, then I ended up with very bad plantar fasciitis. Um, back in 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001, plantar fasciitis was, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was one of those ones where you get up in the morning, you crawl to the bathroom, and by the time practice is there, you're able to play. So eventually I was like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, I just, I can't deal with, with, my, with my body feeling the way it is. And, um, you know, had a long talk with Stu Jackson, and uh, that was it. Uh, I finished playing up in 2001. What was post-NBA life like for you? <clears throat> for you? What? Oh, well, you Are know, you comfortable talking about some, some things that, that happened to you after your career? Um, I don't think many, you know, things happened after my career. Some things happened during my career. Boring. Yeah, boring. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, after my career, um, you know, I, I got into coaching, had kids, um, you know, uh, was married at that point. Um, you know, so, you know, things, I thought things were, were, were great. Um, you know, but you know, I, I, I still had that bug, um, that coaching bug and I got into coaching. Yeah. And you were all over the place. So you coached at lower levels and, and, and higher levels and you coached the Westtown girls team most recently. Right. Yes. So, you, you know, it's, I guess you're, you're never, uh, uh, too big to, to learn things to coach at, at any level. Yeah, well, one of the things that it was really interesting, um, I went and I was a Division three college coach um, at uh, Penn State Altoona. This was after my father had passed, and this was after I was with Nick. I um, went back there, coached that team, and then um, while I had taken over my local high school, the team that I played, Altoona High, I took over that team for three years. And in the meantime, doing that, I was brought back into Philadelphia to coach with the Philly Bells AAU program, um, so the, on the girls' side. So that's how I got really into the girls basketball and then you know as I was wanting to come back to Philadelphia um, the position at Westtown opened up a good friend of mine called me up 
we took that and uh that team's gonna be special for a while that school has some uh some very young some very young players from the area um very good players talking to doug west doug last thing um the Sixer fans, I think, are looking for some kind of a change where Nick Nurse can maximize what this team is about to get them past this uh, this hurdle that they can't seem to get past. What can you tell us about the coaching style that we we will look forward to that this team will do differently and more efficiently? I think moving the ball and moving our bodies. Um, you know, the ball, spacing, um, Getting guys uh, in 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 situations where they're where they have advantages, um, you know, up more a little more up tempo, um, and uh, I think the defensive side of the ball would be would be the biggest change. Um, I think um, you know, coach is really big on defense, um, you know, really big on uh, on you know switching and, and doing a lot of other things, uh, you know, really, you know. Um, disguising defenses and, and doing things of that nature. So it should be interesting. Yeah, and, and that's why I asked you the question, because you have a center. Uh, you know, looking at Knicks teams, you like the long athletic guys who can switch and get out. And uh, You've got a center now who isn't that type of player. So, so how will you try to evolve that? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's not that type of player. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen him do things. Um, I, think, I think if when guys want to win and – you know, they're putting everything into it. They're, they're willing to, to do some things and get out of their comfort zone. And, you know, hopefully he gets out of his comfort zone. All right. So if Harden comes back, he's going to get out of his comfort zone. <laughs> hey, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a team. It's a team he's, thing. He's going to have to move and cut and do all that kind of stuff. And I haven't seen that yet from him. <laughs> hey, like I said, we'll have to see when he gets here. All right, Doug, listen, it's a pleasure to touch base with you. Thanks a lot. We'll look forward to seeing you during the season. Best of luck. Uh, and when do you guys start uh, get started? When, when's, the, uh, when's camp open? Uh, camp opens October 2nd. So, you know, we, in the meantime, what are you doing? You're going through uh, all kinds of configurations, strategical uh, meetings and things like that? Uh, meetings, you know, players getting in for workouts, uh, things of that nature, um, you know, building, building our building our brand up, um, you know, trying to get them used to us, us used to them. Um, so like I said, we've had we've had uh, good runs out in California, um, had, had some guys out there, some good workouts out there. Um, it was a fun time. It was a fun um, August, uh, a lot of ball. Two days ago, Ben Simmons said he wouldn't mind being traded back to Philadelphia. I saw that. I, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I just thought it was a joke. I really did. I saw it. And, you know, I haven't seen anything else from him, so I thought it was a joke. So He said he loves Philly. Oh, I'm sure he does. I mean, you know. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, one of the things you always got to say to players and everyone here, you got to love the situation. The fans love it. You just got to go out and play your tail off. You know, just 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 leave it out there on the court every day. It's all the fans want. They want you to go out there, play your tails off, and and enjoy living in the city. Have you stayed in contact with the guys you play with, the Planskys, the Grices, the Kenny Wilson? What's Kenny Wilson doing right now? You know, you know, I have not talked to Kenny in a while. Um, you know, I know that he is he's he was in New Jersey. I'm not sure what he's doing, but Plansky, I've talked to him. Uh, Grice, you know, Grice is a comedian now. He has stand up. I did not know that. Yes, he's a comedian. He, yes, he has a really? stand up. He has a stand up platform now, so that's what that's what he's doing. Um, you know, is he built himself uh, the world's tallest comedian? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that his billing? 
Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things, uh, you know, coach, both Coach Wright and uh, Coach Neptune have done is they've been able to keep um, the alums um, involved. Yeah. And every every year we've had a golf outing um, at the end of July, and majority of the guys come back all the way back into the 70s. You know, you have guys coming back, play a little golf in the afternoon, uh, watch a little basketball in the evening, and then we just get together and shoot the shit. Did, did you ever talk to Jay about, about being an NBA coach? I just don't think he wanted to do that. I just, uh, I mean, and I, I, I thought he may, um, you know, but it looks like he's enjoying the television thing now, and I'm sure he's hanging at the beach right now. So, uh, you know. <laughs> he's making a zillion dollars without being an NBA coach, so I guess he isn't interested. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, you have, you're, you're undefeated. <laughs> you're undefeated yeah. every day, you know, so. Yes, you are. Uh, Doug, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. The great Doug West, Villanova's fifth high, uh, all-time leading scorer. He's on my all-time Villanova team. Well, I appreciate I that. I have to put that other one together later today. <laughs> thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, and uh, as we get into football season, I can't wait uh, to give you that, that first podcast following the Eagles' first win where they go in and blast Bill Belichick. Have a great uh, rest of the weekend, everybody. And we will talk to you next week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.